Tom got a text just a few minutes ago that our sister Mona Parks, her mother, uh, passed away just about half an hour ago. And I know that some of you know her and would want to minister to her. Turn on mic. I thought I did. It is. It's red. Well, it's red. Hello? Test, test. Maybe it's too low. Yeah, it was not my fault. <laughs> Thank you for... Feel free to shout out if you can't hear me. Anyway, um, Mona Parts' uh, mother passed away about half an hour ago. Uh, Tom, I'm going to ask you to come and lead us in a prayer for her. Um, at, uh, you received that text. And, uh, and for those who know her uh, specifically and have relationships to her, you can be reaching out to her uh, right after the assembly. Tom? Father, we thank you for life. Father, we thank you for the blessings of each and every individual that you bring into our lives. Father, we thank you for Mary Cannon, who is a um, key facet of this community uh, a few years ago. And fathers, her daughter and her son, grandson, continue to be a part of this body. We thank you for that family, and we pray that you be with them in this hour of loss. Father, we know that she goes on. She's had a rough time in the last few years, and she's gone on to be freed from all the infirmities of this world and be able to really celebrate in freedom with Jesus this morning. And, Father, we praise you for that. But, Father, we pray for Mona and her family as, as they seek your comfort and encouragement, Father, in this um, dark and sad day. Father, we pray that you will help us to rally around them and support them and express your love in every possible way that we can as we continue to celebrate and worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm really on. There you go. All right. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. As we've been looking at this little letter written by the Apostle John, he has often been called or referred to as the Apostle of Love. And I find that interesting and encouraging because Jesus gave him a nickname that was not the apostle of love, but the, one of the sons of thunder. He and his brother were called th- sons of thunder. And most think that has to do with his quick judgmental attitude at the time, his harsh behavior. At one point, he wanted fire come down from heaven and destroy a, a city because they rejected uh, Jesus. Here we see, though, a person whose natural inclination to anger and temper uh, is changed by the power of God living in him. And that's why I think it's encouraging to me and should be encouraging to all of us is how God can actually change our natural inclinations, our natural way of, of dealing with life. And so John is called the apostle of love. And I think it's based largely on this short letter that we've been reading. Of course, his gospel, he refers to love many times. But in this little letter, he uh, uses that word love 46 times. That's a lot of times to use the word love. And then an additional six times, he he, uh, uses a a related word, uh, be loved. Loved of God is the way I've translated that. He takes uh, this word. And uses it in the section we've been looking at over half of that. 
from verse 7 of chapter 4 through the end of the chapter, which we'll finish today, he, he uses that word love more than half the time. So to say that John stresses the concept of love would be an understatement. And I would like to read together verses 7 through the end of the chapter together. And I would also like to really emphasize that what we're reading right now is God's breath. The Word of God, all Scripture, is God-breathed. These are the very words of God, written by John, inspired by God's Spirit. And so, if you listen to nothing else in the next few minutes, if you only listen to these words, uh, you will, that will be enough. I'd like for you to listen to others, but if you're, if you're off somewhere else right now, Let's pay attention as we read together these precious words that God has given us through the Apostle John. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that, we, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother... Whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must love his brother. You know, I've read that passage over and over in the last few weeks. Sometimes partial, sometimes the entire thing. Reading it in different translations. And the more I read it, the more I just see... Uh, the depth of in, the depth that John is trying to share with us. Simple words, but deep thoughts. What he is stating is that love is foundational, it's fundamental, it's essential in our lives. In fact, we could say that without love, we have no relationship with God. As you read that passage, without love, there's no relationship. We began this section several weeks ago with Clyde, Clyde Jones, giving us some introductory thoughts. And that was kind of the springboard into this, this series of, of uh, lessons on love. 
And I was thinking this past week, some of the things I didn't go back and listen to his lesson, but I was thinking what stood out to me in the things that Clyde shared with us as as he as he began. And the first thing he that I remember is that he saw the need to define that word love. How do you define that word love? And so he suggested using the Greek word agape and that's fine. Um, And the reason is because the word love, when we think of it, it it attaches an emotional, uh, often um, uh, romantic uh, attachment when we when we just use the word love. And so he suggested maybe we just should use that word agape. And that's okay. Uh, In essence, creating a new English word out of the Greek word. I've been trying to use the word God love instead of love. God love It's God's kind of love, trying to give it that fuller meaning. Uh, But it's difficult to do. Uh, Clyde continued. He said, uh, let me define it. And his definition, I think, is a good definition, was giving yourself to others for their good, expecting nothing in return. And that's an excellent definition. But it's awkward if we put that into the into the text, if that's how we read the word love each time. But if we think the word every time you hear the word love, you think about giving yourself to others, expecting nothing in return. That's a, a good way to look at it. Uh, we've explored, explored many different angles of God love throughout these verses. Find it rich, it's fulfilling, it's amazing, enlightening, it's encouraging, it's challenging, all at the same time. Love, the simplest of words, and has such a deep meaning. We'll spend the rest of our lives trying to understand it. And one thing I've said in the past is because God is love, we're talking about something as deep as God. We'll never fully understand what love is because we'll never fully understand what, who God is. And so we'll keep on searching and keep on trying to find out who, what is love all about and what is God all about. In the next three verses, 19, 20, and 21, we're going to look at our character. We're going to look at how not to love God. And we're going to look at his command. Verse 19. Here's a, here's a verse that would be easy for you to memorize. You can memorize it right now. We love because he first loved us. Pretty simple. You know, if you're in the elementary group, and I know when I was growing up, you know, the teacher would say sometimes, you know, What's, what's a mem- what is a memory verse? What's a, m- a verse that you can quote to the class? Well, we had always used what? Jesus wept. Because it's the shortest one. Everyone remembers that one. But here's one you can remember. We love because he first loved us. And so if your teacher, you know, asks you to memorize something or give a memory verse, that's a good one. We love. Some of your translations may say we love him. But that's not what it says. It says we love. And that's a statement of fact. This is who we are. This is the essence of the character of the Christian. And it's, this, it's, it's put in, in the, in the um, tense of this is a continuing thing that we do. This is a continuing action. We love and we keep on loving. It's so essential that when you think of all the other qualities of Christ likeness, they're made void If we do not, if they are not characterized by love, for instance, can we really be obedient without love? Are we really righteous in our actions without love? 
Are we holy when we're loveless? And so he's talking about love and he's talking about the maturity of love. He's telling us this is your goal. This is the kind of love that you want. And we know that from the previous verse when he talks about being perfect in love, which means being mature, being complete in love. He says fearless love is mature love. When you're when you have the type of love that you're fearless, you're mature in Christ. And so he goes on to say, and this is the type of of love we have. We love this is for those who are in Christ. We can say we are the agape clan. This is the people we are. We are the people of God. We are the people of love. We are the agape clan. And I love that little picture I found of these Christian warriors with the sword of the spirit and so on. Shield of faith. We are the uh, agape clan reaching out to the world. And so we are characterized or should be characterized or known by people who love. And so it's important. Again, let's take a look at this word love. What does it mean? Let's grow in our understanding. And it, we're not going to get it all in one sermon. You're not going to get it all in one life. You're just going to have to learn and grow and mature in this understanding of love. And so we first of all find that love is defined by God's actions. Verse 9 of that chapter. If you go by back and it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son. This is love. This is a demonstration of his love. So it's defined by God's character, by God's uh, name, you could say. It's, uh, it's, it's defined by who he is. And thus, when we express love, it's defined by our, um, our reflection of God's character in his name. The source or power of this love comes from God because he first loved us. Therefore, we can we can love. We can be this kind of people. And not only the source, not only the power, but the knowledge, the understanding of what love is. And it comes from him as a growing and maturing in his character, learning who he is, what he's all about and reflecting that, you know, over in Ephesians is almost a parallel verse in Ephesians chapter five, where it says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now, over and over, I've, I've brought out that, that word, uh, little children, in First John. He says, you're my little children. This is who you are. And Paul is saying the same thing. He says, imitate God. You're his little children. And then what? And live a life of love. And he goes on to explain a little bit on what that means. But this is what we are to do. We're imitating God. And when we imitate God, what do we imitate? We imitate love. We could say this is the gospel. If we were to distill the gospel in its purest form, we could, say, we could sum it up in these words. We love because he first loved us. But then he goes on to say, but let me tell you how you don't love, how you don't love God. And I think the reason maybe he does this in verse 20 is because it's, it's easy for me to fool myself, to think I'm doing fine, that I'm doing, I'm making the right decisions, I'm doing the right thing. I can say I love God and yet not really love him. And so John is saying here, you know, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in how you really act out love. It's not in your words, but it's in your actions. And the actions of love 
are not directed toward God, but to but to and I mean in a religious sense, doing religious things. John says the action of love toward God is seen in our action of love toward our brothers and sisters. Now, just think about that. That's something really to ponder on. That our action of love isn't in a religious, doing a religious thing toward God, but it's more of a horizontal thing. If we're really showing our love for God, it's shown in how we treat one another. He uses the word, let's read that verse just to remind us of what it says, verse 20, where he says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so we have these two words, love and hate. What does that mean? I've had some Christians, more than one, come to me during this series, especially when we've touched on the word love. And they say, you know, I, I struggle with this. I struggle with this concept of love. And especially when we come to verses like this, where it says... If I say I love God, but I hate my brother, you know, I'm a liar. And I really have a problem with some Christians. I'm having some problems with certain brothers and sisters. They don't like somebody. They've had conflict with someone. They don't have a good feeling toward this brother or sister. And so they wonder, rightly so, well, do I love God? Because I sure don't like you. And, it's a, and I'm glad they're struggling with that. They think if I really love God, I would feel good about this other person. And so I want to state what I've stated before. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. And you know, hate is the same thing. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. <clears throat> I've shared with you sometimes how sometimes I will dream about my sermons. <laughs> I have some other exciting dreams, too, so, you know, I dream more than just my sermons. But I woke up about a week and a half ago with, a, a, you know, I've been thinking, I've been trying to find out what is a word that we can use in the English instead of love that will, that will maybe convey what this, this said, what, what, John, what this word means. And I've struggled with that a lot. Like uh, I said to Clyde, he gave a, a, a sentence. Love is, um, for, either, for their own good, what? I can't remember. You know, go blank for a second. Giving yourself. I knew. Giving yourself. I knew it would come to me. That wasn't a senior moment. That was just a <laughs> distracted moment. Giving yourselves to other <laughs> without expecting anything in return. All right, that's that's the that's his definition. So I said, what is the one word? And I woke up with this word value, value, maybe esteem. And the reason is because it kind of moves us away from the emotions of love, because when we think about love, we often the first place our minds go is emotions or feelings and feelings can be attached to biblical love. But they're secondary. They're not primary. Feelings can be attached to value, but it's secondary, not primary. You can value something without having a strong emotional feeling. 
because you see its intrinsic value. You see it's a self-evident that is valuable. And so you deem it worthy. This is worthy. Let me give you an example. I don't know if my, do, do you still have the whale's tooth at home? Do you? Okay. I wish I would have thought of this earlier. I have one. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. I didn't think I had it. Anyway, in, in Fiji, if I would have brought it today, I wish I would have realized I had it <laughs> and brought it. A whale's tooth. All right. And we look at it, it looks like an ugly old whale's tooth. It's just, it's just a whale's tooth. That's all it is. And it might be interesting, but to you, there's no value in a whale's tooth. But you give that to a Fijian. You give it because every important ceremony, part of the, the giving of oneself is a whale's tooth. And it seals the covenant, really, that they're making. And so I have seen Fijians... As they accept or as they give it first, they have a big speech. And as they accept it, there's a big speech. And I've seen them literally cradle that whale's tooth like a baby and stroke it and talk about it and how wonderful it is. And we sit here as, as, as Americans think, well, that's silly. Well, silly to you, but it's important to them it, because the value of that. That's attached to what we see as just a whale's tooth, the tambua. And so value is determined by something, and sometimes it's cultural. We have a, a value attached to something culturally. But God determines the value. And when God determines the value, culturally we may not understand it, but if we understand that from God's perspective, then we know, yes, that's valuable. Look at verse 7 again. Let's... Kind of read verse 7 in this way, where he says, Dear friends, or loved ones of God's, let us value one another. For value is determined by God, or value comes from God. And so here's the point. If God says, you, you are family now. This is your brother and sister. I have brought you into my family. I have brought them into my fam- family. They are my beloved you are my beloved. God gives them value. And because God gives them value, looks at them as valuable, then that's the way we should look at one another. And again, removing the emotion from hate. If we use the word, you know, hate is such an emotion. I think it might even be more emotional than love. Love is a nice emotion. Hate's a strong negative emotion. Instead of using that word, let's use the word oppose, to oppose someone or to uh, actively oppose someone. And so translating, let's see, uh, what, what do I have up there in my next slide? Yeah, verse 20. Let's do it this way. If anyone says, I value God, yet is directly opposed to his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not value his brother whom he has seen cannot value God whom he has not seen. All right, I'm not totally happy with that, but it gives you a sense, I think, of what the words, what the word is saying. Just because I dreamed it doesn't mean that it came from God. It came from my, my, come from my mind. You know, in, as he goes on, John is trying to explain something. He's trying to explain something that's totally ludicrous. He's totally um, unreasonable. Uh, verse 20, grammatically, he is saying, suppose this were true. 
Suppose someone were to say, and I am pointed this out way back in chapter one, uh, starting in verse six, there's several verses there where John is giving you a um, he, he's giving you an example. He's saying, suppose this were to happen. And, and your reaction to that is that doesn't make sense. Suppose someone were to say, I value, I love God, I esteem God, yet shows no value or esteem or, or love toward his own brother. How ridiculous is that? That's the stress of this of this verse. And the grammar shows that this hate is a lifestyle. Suppose someone says, John is saying, I love, I value, I honor God. And yet his lifestyle is one that is actively opposing and hating his brother or sister. How crazy is that? That's kind of the stress that John is saying. And that type of behavior, think with me, that type of behavior has turned people away from God. When people look at you in your home, in your private setting, and they say, here is someone who says, I love God. They go to church, go to church with me because I love God. And yet they hate the people around. They actively oppose the people around them. How many people have been turned from the living God because they've seen that hypocritical type of nature in us? You can't separate love for God and love for your brother. We can't separate our lives into our religious activities devoted to God and our daily activities opposed to God. John says, you know, it's easier to love. And what we need to understand that meaning, love being active deeds, our response towards others, is easier to love someone we see rather than someone we can't see. Now, when we think of it as emotions, we think the opposite is true. Oh, it's easier to love someone that we can't see than love someone that we do see. Because the person that I do see gives me a headache. You know, I have a good feeling of care and love for the people in El Salvador. Whom I never see. Except maybe once a year. I've seen them once. But ask Dwayne and Charlotte... They're here visiting with us. If they feel that love toward hard-to-love people in El Salvador. I, they've been there a couple of years now. Where are they? Somewhere. I've seen them. You've been there a couple of years now? I bet you got to know some Christians there that are hard to get along with. True? To a degree. Oh, he's still on his honeymoon. Let's... let's. <laughs> God bless you. That's fine. I mean, they, I don't want to say too much. The week I was with you, sometimes I saw you a little irritated with the way things were going with some of those folks. And that's true because in Fiji, and I was saying yes, in Fiji, when, and I'll put myself on this, when campaigners would come, they'd say, oh, it's so wonderful. These people are so wonderful. They're so loving. They're so generous is so kind and they say so and so just oh they're just so wonderful and i'm thinking last month you should have been here (laughs) not so wonderful then you know i get a good emotional feeling toward god in the midst of insightful scriptures there's been times i've read the scriptures and i go wow wow that's amazing and i get an emotional feeling or sometimes in a good time of singing and praising the Lord through songs, I get a good emotional feeling. 
but at the same time feel very disconnected with a brother or sister who's in a bad mood. But this love is talking about this active giving of ourselves to others. It's not emotions. It's saying God is saying that this active giving of oneself to God is not an emotional response, but it's an active giving of yourself to your brother and sister. We could even say that the one who does not go on loving his brother doesn't have the power to be loving God. You can't, if you're not loving your brother or sister in this way, you really can't love God is what John is saying. Because you can't hate your brother because it's anti-God, it's anti-love. God, God love is shown to the unlovely. God loved us when? When we were enemies, when we were sinners. And he says, now you show that same God love toward your brothers and sisters who are sinners and sometimes don't do the right thing. Just to point out real quickly, this is for your own study. This is an, an expansion. You, you've, you've heard a lot of this before, haven't you? Because John is expanding this. And he does this both with hate and love. And on the next slide, this is my little illustration. In chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, I'm not going to read these. He mentions, he talks, he first introduces this concept of hate or opposing. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, he gives you some more. And then now in chapter 4, verse 20. Same thing about love. In the same area, he, he's contrasting them. He talks about love in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. He expands it in chapter 3, verses 10 through 24. And then he expands it further in the section that, that we are currently in. And if we had time, we could just read through all those things. And if you have time, you can read through those later on. And you can see this expansion uh, in John's thoughts. Third, though, is our command. Chapter, uh, verse 21, he says, And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I suspect that this is an expansion of the Shema. It's a Hebrew word for hear. All right, you just learned a Hebrew word. And this is, I think these days, is really read during Yon Kemper, I think. But he, he, you're familiar with this. We sing this song. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God, your God, with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus further expanded on that. And he said, and here's the second one that's just like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so here John is taking this and he's, he's taking theology and he's putting it into practice. He says, here's God's command. We'd say that's theology. Love one another. In fact, theology can only be true when we put it into practice. God never meant for his words just to be something that we think about that's up in our minds, that we have good feelings about in our minds. He's always meant for it to be put into practice. This is the nitty gritty of obedience. This is not something mystical up in the clouds, full of great feelings, but this daily, hourly living of putting love into practice. And you say, well, how can love be commanded? He's, he's commanding. This is the command. How can he command love? And if it's a feeling, he can't. You can't command a feeling. Try it with your children. I, this happened to me. Your brother, you're fighting with your sister, and your parents get involved, and they say, all right, kiss and make up, you know. You're a little kid, you've got to kiss your sister. Have you ever had, had to kiss your sister, kiss your brother, hug your brother? 
And you, you know you have, you know how you hug your brother when you're mad with him. You know that's what you do. You just kind of put your hand there, and you both. And and what does mom say? No, really hug them. <laughs> you gotta, you know, it's not. You know, there's no emotion there except I don't want to be doing this. All right, there's no, there's no that kind of love. And so if it's if it's a if it's a feeling because we that's our default is to go is to say it's a feeling, then we're going to miss the whole point here. I'm reminded of the Righteous Brothers hit song, and I wasn't really alive in '64 when it came out. I was alive, but I wasn't. I was a child, a very young child. But it was sung over and over. You probably even heard it on the radio. Uh, what's this? Bring back that loving feeling. Remember that song? Uh, what's it? Ah, uh, see, now we got some people showing their age. You've lost that loving feeling. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> she was very. She was younger than me. But you hear it over and over. Other people sing the song. Bring back that loving feeling. Whoa, whoa, that loving feeling. Now some of you know it. Bring back that loving feeling because it's what? Gone, gone, gone. All right. And that's what we think. We think there's love. I've got to get back. I've lost that loving feeling. This is not what John is talking about. This is not what he's talking about. He can, cannot, you cannot command that. By the way, that song kind of goes out off. That love and feeling doesn't come back as far as she's concerned. <laughs> I think the way that song ends, you can't command that kind of feeling. But I can do right while at the same time not liking it. I don't have to like to love you. It doesn't have to be a feeling when I talk about like. Love means I look at you differently than my feelings are telling me to. My feelings are telling me one thing but God in his word is telling me something else. I look at your unloveliness and I ask, how does God call me to treat you in this circumstance? How is God calling me to treat you while you're acting this way? God love means that the things I do are designed to bless you in some way. That could mean correction. It could mean teaching. It could be helping Giving, but whatever it is, it comes out of God's motivated love, trained in God's love to respond as God wants me to respond. And sometimes it's easy and it's wonderful and it's nice and good feelings come from it. And sometimes it's hard and not so nice and stressful and we don't like the feeling, but that's love. And sometimes, I would even say usually, Those good feelings will catch up to the good actions. But we don't do it for the feelings. We do it because God has told us to. We're trained by God's word. And we're trained by the character of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a quote that is pretty pretty good in our next slide. I have to read it here. All human love is distorted by our fallen nature, such that no one can truly love God or others as we ought. It is only when a person comes to Christ and begins to realize the extent and nature of God's love that their ability to love rightly can be transformed by the work of the Spirit. Basically, he's saying here, you know, sometimes we don't love like we should. Sometimes we just can't love the way we should. That's our fallen nature. But if we are God-focused in our love, we'll learn how to do it through the work of the Holy Spirit. There's an 11-year-old girl and an 8-year-old brother fought constantly over the slightest thing. Father was surprised when the 
daughter brought a very artistic card that she had made for her little brother that she had always fought with. And inside it said, happy birthday to my nine-year-old brother. I am so glad to have a brother to love. God gave, so God gave me you. And then she said, P.S., don't read this out loud or I'll twist your head off. (laughs) And that's how we are. Sometimes you just want to twist my head off, I know. But you love me anyway. And that's how we are with each other. We're, we're, We're personalities that we have, we struggle with that. And that's okay. God's not calling you to have a good feeling towards someone you want to twist their head off. He's calling you to love them, serve them, help them. Let me sum it up by reading the paraphrase from from verse 7 on. And maybe this will help tie it all together. Loved ones of God, let us continually and habitually love one another. For this particular kind of love, God love, emanates and flows out of the very nature of God himself. And all who are actively practicing God love at one point became and are now a part of God's bloodline. Thus, we continually experience and grow in understanding God. Those whose lives are defined by not loving don't know God because God is love. This is how God demonstrated his love, displaying it openly with a clear light of his divine nature, revealing it plainly. He sent his unique, one-of-a-kind son into this hostile and death-ridden world for the express purpose of giving us life so that through him we could live. Here it is, clear as day, God love. Not us pouring out our love to God, not at all, but that God actually loved us by sending his son to be a sacrifice that took the penalty of our sins and made all things right once again, justice accomplished and made complete. Dear to God, loved ones of God, since God loved us in such an excessive and intense manner, it goes without saying that we should in turn excessively and intensely express and show God love to one another. You can't see the unseen God. No one ever has. So don't expect God to come and tell you you're all right and you're doing well. However, if we practice God love with one another, we can be certain that God has made his home in us. We experience the knowledge that he dwells in us. Then each time we show God love, God himself says, perfect. That's the way I created you to live. As we live this way, we then know and experience that we are comfortably at home with God and he with us and as confirmed by the spirit which he gave us. And we, with intense and careful study, contemplated deeply what our very eyes saw. And we now live out our lives based on the impact of that experience. And so we continually bear testimony as reliable eyewitnesses that the Father sent his Son with this commission, Savior of the world. If anyone agrees with this truth, Jesus is the Son of God, what then is real and true in your life is that God makes his permanent home in you, and you find your existence in him. And so we experience in our Christian lives This amazing love God has for us, and we lean heavily on it. God is love. Whoever is rooted and flourishes in God's love is embedded in God, and God is at home in him. This is the way God's love has come to its full bloom of maturity as we cooperate with him. The whole purpose of this mature God's love is in our lives is so that we will have confidence 
Heads held up high as we walk into the day of judgment. We live this way because in this world, God sees and treats us in just the same way he sees and treats Jesus. There is a clear cut and final no to fear in this love. But still more, mature God love, love that has grown up and knows its proper place, opens the door of that comfortable and permanent home in which you and God mutually dwell and tosses that fear out into the cold. Because fear is all wrapped up in what I did or didn't do and what kind of punishment I deserve for those things. The ones who live their lives in that kind of fear, never certain of their relationship, always questioning, have never grown up and matured in God love. The essence of our nature is revealed in how we live our lives each day. We love. And this only because God first loved us. Suppose someone says, I love God, yet each day actively opposes his brother or sister, regarding them with ill will, treating them as if they had no value. That person lives a lie, totally negating their claim of love. For anyone who does not esteem and value a brother or sister with whom they are whom with whom they are with day in and day out and have ample opportunity to to display and to put their love into practice cannot be saying I love God who they can't even see. And this is his command. Those of you who say you love God, practice that love on your brothers and sisters. To me, it's convicting because I can look at my life and say, you know, I fall short in that area. And that's why we focus back on God. We're Christ-centered and not me-centered and say, it's only by your grace that you have given me your love and it's only by your grace that I can extend that to others. If you're in Christ, I just want to encourage you, let's 